Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Good evening, church. Tonight's scripture will be from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, creator of the universe, God of all things, we come to you this evening for the second time today, gathering as your church to worship you alone, the one true and living God. Lord, we thank you that you're our God. We thank you and praise you for your power, for your knowledge, and for the fact that you're beyond time. We thank you for your plan for us as your children, a plan that allows us to have a relationship with you through prayer, grace that is so great and so infinite, and mercy in our lives. And Lord, we are so thankful for Jesus and for his willingness to go to the cross on our behalf and to be obedient to your plan and to die in our stead. Lord, we pray that as we've entered into this time of worship here this evening, that you'll help us to clear our minds so that we can focus solely upon you and worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we pray for those of our number who are in need of you at this time, whether it be sickness or financial, family problems, whatever issue each and every one of us experience in our lives and multiple issues at that, Lord, we just pray that your grace may abound and, and help us all in, in our own ways and help us to strengthen one another as we, as we are the church. And that is what you've called us to do. Lord, we pray that you'll be with Josh this evening as he speaks. Help us to apply what he says to our lives. And help us to go out into the world and, and to spread your word as you've called us to. All things be done in your will. And it's all in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The song before the lesson. Good evening, church family and friends. It's good to see all of you here tonight at this uh, evening service. If you have your Bibles, you would do well uh, to open to the book of 1 Corinthians. As we continue our trek through this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, we have, uh, well, we have a serious conclusion to the first section of the book. And if you've been paying attention to our studies through this letter over the course of this year, especially for the last couple of weeks since our summer series uh, was completed, you're going to begin to see how the Apostle Paul, when he wrote by the Holy Spirit, constructed his arguments. He lays a foundation and builds upon it. 
And, and the things that he brings up later in one of his letters all have been foreshadowed, or at least the reader has been prepared to be able to embrace and understand those subjects in a greater way by what he has said before. And so the last couple of lessons in this series, we've talked about church discipline and about the importance of the church practicing church discipline, and when necessary, though it is never our desire, to withdraw fellowship from those that will not walk according to the teachings of Scripture. And uh, tonight, a drawing then from these passages in which Paul has talked about the right way to make judgments and how to discern truth and error and how to deal with sin problems in the church, uh, we're going to talk about uh, well, in fact, brothers and sisters having grievances with each other. And then Paul is going to solidify uh, the argument that he's been leading to that there are some folks who have crossed the line that grace will not cover. Let's begin in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and read through verse 8 in this first part of the lesson. The Apostle Paul, now notice as we go through this, I've only highlighted certain things that I'm going to, uh, to elaborate on in just a moment. But pay attention to the highlights here. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know, again Paul asked that question, that we are to judge angels, how much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have any such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle the dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves, wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Now this is a, this is a weighty passage. And I want to talk about just a couple of things quickly uh, before I go into breaking down the text in a way that, that applies to us. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Verse 2. If the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? <laughs> Think about what Paul is saying here. Any matter that a brother might have against a brother that they would take to civil court in comparison and contrast against judging the world, is trivial. You remember in the Gospels where Jesus is approached by someone and he says, make my brother divide the inheritance with me. Do you remember what the judge of the whole earth said in response to him? He said, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter between you? In other words, Jesus said, I don't care about your inheritance. I don't care about that money. That's not what I'm here to talk about. Is not what I'm here to do. And that in of itself says an awful lot that flies in the face of the worldly point of view that even many Christians have. And that's nothing new because Paul's talking about Christians in the first century that had worldly ideas about stuff, about things, about their money, their finances, their jobs, their careers, their reputation, 
among those outside of the body of Christ. Paul is trying to get us to recognize how vain that all is. Then verse 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? Now that's a passage that I've seen a lot of ink spilled on pages to try to get to the bottom of. I've also heard well-meaning folks from the pulpit just dismiss everything in this passage as if it's just all symbolic. That's a regular tactic that folks that really don't know what they're talking about will use to try to cover up the fact they don't know what they're talking about. And I'm not trying to be mean. But if a passage doesn't make sense to your present worldview or your present understanding of things, let's just call it symbolic and move on. That's lazy. It's intellectually lazy. You can say, I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like. But I do know what the word says. And I know this context is literally about brothers sitting down within the context of the church. And someone regarded as wise, probably in eldership in, in most cases and in best cases. But this is about Christians that have a dispute between themselves, literally sitting down before someone that is held in high esteem within the church and arguing their case before the leaders of the church and the leaders of the church making a decision and those members accepting the decision. Now stop for a minute. And just think about how outlandish that sounds in our world today. Ever heard of that? Probably not. Maybe you have. Oh, but that is rare beyond description, rare. Have you heard about church members, brothers and sisters in Christ, taking each other to court? Yes, you've heard about that. So brothers and sisters, there's nothing new under the sun, including right and wrong. And we need to embrace what the scriptures teach is true. And this is true. There is some sense in which standing with Christ in glory on judgment day, the saints will judge the world. I don't know what it looks like. I know what it says. There is some sense in which we, again, exalted to reign with Christ as priests and kings, which John the Revelator tells us that is to be our eternal lot to be priests and kings to our God and to reign with Jesus forever and forever and forever. And again, I don't know everything about what that's going to look like, but I know what the Bible says and I believe it. And just because I can't say how that's going to roll out as far as the sequence of events is concerned doesn't give me the right to say it's just symbolic. It really doesn't mean much except live a good life and your example is going to put others to shame and blah, blah, blah. That's not what this context is about. It's about making decisions in cases of dispute that are to be respected as binding. Because remember, we talked about the last two weeks, when Jesus talks about, about the process of dealing with disputes between brothers, he uh, talks about, first of all, one going to one, then two or three witnesses, and then bring it before the church. And that passage concludes with Jesus saying something that is one of the greatly misused passages in Scripture, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. What that passage is about is about judgment. It's about this very thing that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 6. It's about Christians really respecting the king. That's what it's about. It's about Christians respecting that the king... The king has prescribed the proper structure and organization of the church. He has. Are you listening, brothers and sisters? The king has said, we are to obey those that have the rule over us 
in the body of Christ. The king has said, is it possible that an eldership might make a wrong decision? Sure, it's possible. It happens. That doesn't change the fact that the king has given us this order for life. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you respect the king. And if you respect the king, you respect the system he's put into place. Brothers and sisters, the church of our Lord has been blessed with people, knowledge and wisdom that surpasses all of the secular unbelieving judges in the world combined. Why do you respect folks that have no standing in the church? What can they know about right and wrong if they haven't even made the right decision about Jesus? Let it sink in. Now let's talk about this text just a just in a, a way of reviewing the points here, Paul says when, not if. When there are disputes between brothers and sisters. When, not if. We are fallen men and women living in a sinful world. And none of us know everything we ought to know. And none of us are as strong as we ought to be. And none of us are perfect and we make mistakes. And sometimes brothers and sisters get crossways with each other. And we do not have the right to take those concerns out to the world in front of the world that we are called to be the light of, the salt of. We're the city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And when the world sees brother against brother in a court of law, well, why on earth would they want to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? And that is the ultimate goal of what God is trying to get us to understand here. And he asked this question in number two there. He says, do you dare? You got a problem with a brother or sister in Christ? Do you do you dare, do you hear the words of Paul, do you dare to take that before unbelievers? Now, stop again. Think about these words. Get out of the 20th century and 21st century. Get out of our modern times. Get out of this system that means nothing to God. Get out of American politics. Get out of your head about anything contemporary to our times. We do not live according to the rules of our times. We do not value what the people in the world of our times value. We value the truth of Almighty God. We value the will of Jesus Christ, our King. He is our King, and the kingdom of God is our country. And when it comes down to it, it's our only country with any kind of a lasting sentiment at all. So do you dare do that? If you don't see the strong implication on how you better not do that, I don't think you're reading the passage right. Number three, let's summarize this. God has faith in us. Do you recognize that? That's what the Spirit is leading Paul to communicate. He's saying, you're going to judge the world. Don't you know that? That's the status that we have been accorded in Christ. Don't you know you're going to judge angels? Are angels higher or lower beings than us? And if you're a Bible student, you know the answer to that question. Angels are glorious ones. Read through the Bible every time that a human being encounters an angel that, that is, that is uh, sharing the glory of his spiritual nature. What are they doing every time? Fall down. Some tempted to worship the angel because of the glory. And yet, and yet in this passage, Paul says, we're, we're going to judge them. He's saying, Jesus has faith in his people to judge these trivial matters of this life. So why don't we have faith in each other? 
Who has your respect in this life? Is it folks that have attained earthly success and wealth and fame and power? You know that since the dawn of civilization, the majority of those folks have not been servants of Christ. The majority are not really interested in the things of Christ. There are wonderful and beautiful exceptions to that rule, and I'm grateful for them. There are many more that give lip service because, well, it buys them influence with people. But Paul tells us in the beginning, again, you see, Paul builds his case. He knows what's coming. The Spirit is walking through it. He's already talked about in chapters 1 and 2 that not many noble, not many wise, not many wise, mighty according to things of this world embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God has chosen the weak things, the foolish things, to bring to nothing the things that seem great to those who have the world in mind, right? That's the principle now that he's beginning to develop more fully and giving an application of in this passage. Suing your brother or sister in Christ violates the mission of the kingdom of God. Suing your brother or sister in Christ violates the law of love. And it's a shame because Jesus' way is sufficient to solve the problem. And I want to just give you all a word of advice. If you ever have taken a brother or sister to court, ask God to forgive you and move on. It's not a browbeating session. But I'm saying, if you've got some money that you're going to enter into some kind of relationship with that you can't afford to count as the loss and write off, don't risk it. Because I understand the word of God to forbid you to use secular legal means of solving that problem. And all I can do is preach the word. Let's continue then in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. Now, that's a comprehensive term that applies to all sexual deviancy that violates the word of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, that's idol worshipers, nor adulterers, that's married people that seek relationships with somebody they're not married to, nor men who practice homosexuality, I'll say something about that in a second, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you couple of things here before we move on. Men who practice homosexuality is a very broad translation of two Greek words. One is malakos, which is often translated effeminate. And I won't go into it in great detail except to say that this is the passive partner in a male homosexual relationship, broadly speaking. The other word is arsenokoites. It is a Greek word that is a combination of two other words. One is the word for man and the other is the word for bed. And there has been some debate, in fact, a documentary made in recent years challenging that the church has been abusive to homosexual people by misinterpreting Paul's uh, passage here and they have produced just false teaching about the meaning of this passage and the meaning of this word. The literal meaning of the word arsenokoites is a man who beds a man as a man is supposed to bed a woman. So that's literally what it means. And that's Someone who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there is a strong teaching in our culture today that same-sex attraction is something that people are designed by God with and born with, and it's simply an identity that has been printed upon their spirits, and there's nothing that they can do to change that. And nothing could be farther from the truth. 
according to the word of God. And this is truth. John 17, 17, our Lord in his high priestly prayer said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so truth, truth tells us the truth that someone can be an ex-homosexual. Meaning they do not embrace the identity of homosexuality any more than they embrace the practice. It's not just homosexuals here, and it's not just male homosexuals. Romans chapter 1 talks about females in explicit language. All of these things fall under the heading of sexual immorality, but it's also those who are practicing a life of being greedy. It's those who are practicing a life of drunkenness. It's those who are revilers by nature, people that swindle others. All of these kinds of people, the passage tells us, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and let me just oversimplify that to say the Bible is, in fact, saying that people that practice these sins impenitently are not going to make it to heaven. Are you listening, young people? Teenagers, are you listening? You're being lied to. You're being lied to by your culture. You're being lied to, in some cases, by authority figures in our nation. You're being lied to by some of your teachers. You're being lied to by the media. You're being told you can choose your sexuality and that anybody who says that you cannot is a bigot and is evil and prejudicial. And to be opposed by good and honest people in society, I'm telling you, my friends, you're being lied to. The Bible is God's word. The Bible tells us the truth. Brothers and sisters, whatever your sinful tendencies are, and we've all got them, when you come to Jesus, he washes you clean. In the waters of baptism, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul, again, in this context, asks that question, don't you know? And in asking that question, he's saying these things are basic. He's saying these things are fundamental. He's saying every follower of Jesus has to know these things, that they're entry-level things, they're fundamental ground-level stuff. This is the grassroots from which the vine that bears fruit grows. These are things that every Christian is supposed to know. And again, I just want to affirm what Paul is saying. I realize it's hard for some people to hear. I realize it's tough because we all know and love people who are in violation of this passage. And we don't want to believe what it's saying. It's hard to believe what it's saying because we love people and we don't want them to be lost. And some of them we dearly love and want to be saved do not have respect for the word of God and they won't change. It hurts. But it doesn't change the truth. These folks are not going to heaven. They're not going to heaven. And we don't do anybody any kindness by misrepresenting that fact. But listen, don't be arrogant. Be helpful. Don't be mean. Be helpful. Don't be judgmental. Yeah, you got to make a judgment call. The Word of God has already made this judgment. Yes, you've got to abide in the judgments of the Holy Spirit. They're true and eternal. But teach. Teach. Serve. Love. Win respect. Win influence. And do everything you can so that these folks will, like us, be washed, be sanctified, be justified in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Continuing then to verse 12. Notice I've highlighted only the quotations here because I want you to recognize what's happening in this text. 
Paul says, all things are lawful to me. Oh, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord, listen, becomes one spirit with him. I don't know of any more gracious thing that is said in the whole Bible than that. Have you been baptized into Christ? Do you realize that in the Holy Spirit, in the temple of the Holy Spirit, you are one spirit with your God? One in spirit with him. He claims you. He claims you. He accepts you into his fellowship. He embraces you. He includes you. And as the underlying teaching of this passage about judgment is concerned, he trusts you. Isn't that wonderful? Dear heavens, that's wonderful. And so, brothers and sisters, we've got to flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin, Paul says, that a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know? There's the question again. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. You are not your own. You are not your own. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So... Glorify God in your body. Man, powerful. Paul gives us not just a quote there. Each one of those statements in in the uh, quotation marks that I highlighted is a quote. There are three of them, in fact, in the text. And it is believed by scholars and is almost certainly true that what Paul is doing is actually quoting some of the teachers that may already be false teachers, or at least they're under the influence of false teaching in the church at Corinth. And these folks have, have understood, at least on some basic level, that being in Christ has delivered them from obedience to the law of Moses. And so they're recognizing that they're no longer under law in that sense. They're no longer under the law of Moses. In chapter 9, Paul's going to talk a little bit about law. But they've recognized they're no longer under the law of Moses or, or a law like that, where they believe that they've got to earn their way to heaven. And that's absolutely true. We're not under any law that says we earn our way to heaven. We're not under any system of law that says our works contribute to our salvation. The Bible teaches us our works flow from our salvation. And the works that we do for Christ are God working through us. And that's why he gets the glory and we get none. All to his glory. And so these quotes are coming from a sort of libertine position about Christianity. And Paul is is not necessarily disagreeing with them entirely. His way of responding to them is more kind of like something we'd say. He's like, eh, kind of, but... All right? And so Paul lists each of these three quotes, and he's saying, well, that's kind of true, but remember this. And in each case, he answers it with a warning that puts a wisdom limitation around that idea. Are all things lawful? Well, we could get for, in a 15-minute discussion about the word things. 
Now, I'll save that for another time. But all things are lawful in a sense as long as these things that we're using, doing, practicing are filtered through the authority and the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that means I'm not going to get addicted to things. If I'm addicted to things in any way, well, I, it's, it's mastered me. Paul says, yeah, all things are lawful, but if you get addicted to something, well, then now you're compromised and you're service to the Lord because you're under the power of, of some kind of authority in your life that isn't Jesus. And so he's saying, yeah, all things are lawful, but I'm not going to allow myself to get hooked on something. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he's saying. All things are lawful, but yes, not all things build up. And remember your mission. Your mission is to reach the lost. And it is to build up the saved. And if your practice of your Christian liberties, I do not deny that we are more free in Christ than most of us are aware of. All right? We are free in Jesus from a law-based kind of approach to life. But we got a mission, brothers and sisters. We got a purpose in life in serving Jesus. And it's reaching the lost and it's building up the saved. And if my practice of my Christian liberty is in any way infringing upon those two things, well, then I have a boundary there. Amen? That's what Paul is teaching, and I hope you understand that. He also teaches us the uniqueness and seriousness of sexual sin. He says all other sins are in a different class. He says sexual sins are in a class of their own. Sexual sins violate your own body. Committing sexual sin as a Christian would be like time traveling to the ancient world Going to Jerusalem, taking a big bucket of feces and splattering on the wall of the temple of God. Yeah, let that sink in. What do you think the Levites would have done to you if you did that? You'd have never stepped out of that temple complex alive. I'm just telling you the truth. Boy, we need to wake up on this subject, man, because our culture is just obsessed with sex. Obsessed. And it is destroying the civilization. It's destroying it. You got to have more respect for your body than that. You got to understand that Jesus bought all of you, not just your spirit. Your body's his too. It's been baptized into him. It's his. It's an extension of his body. You're the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And as the Father gave Jesus the Spirit without measure, so the church has been filled with the Holy Spirit and is the temple of God collectively. We've already seen that in 1 Corinthians 3. And now in chapter 6, we see that individually our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit whom we have from God. And so Paul just brings this passage to a close. And he says ultimately uh, the principle... The principle that he wants to get across is that living in these bodies of which God has gifted us the stewardship is living in a way that is consistent with the will and nature of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within you, so glorify God with, in, and by, and through your body in every conceivable way. And the bottom line is this. If you do this, my brothers and sisters, all will be well with you, and your body will indeed be a holy temple to the Lord. I just asked you, what in heaven or on earth could be better than that? The message is yours. This evening, did you need to respond to the invitation? 
If you're a baptized believer and need the prayers of this church, the front pews are open. We'd be glad to offer our prayer to heaven on your behalf. This evening, if you're a person, you're old enough, you understand right from wrong, and you know you've sinned against God, there's one way to get right, and that's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you obey it tonight? If you'll confess the name of Jesus, we will immerse you into his death, burial, and resurrection in this baptistry. Your sins will be washed away, and you'll be raised to walk in newness of life. A holy saint, cleansed, washed, sanctified, justified. The invitation is yours. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.